Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we have a lot to get to. Free agency is in full swing, and everything's going fast and furious, except for our little Kansas City Chiefs. So let's get to the topics. Let's introduce the guys. He's ready to do an hour on the return of Zach Granke to the Kansas City Royals. Jacob Allen is here. What's going on, my friend? Uh, you know I am. I'm already debating calling my parents and asking them, hey, I think I have the Zach Grinky t-shirt jersey somewhere at the house. Uh, I'm afraid to ask where that one's at because I think it's a shirt that will no longer fit me. But I know for a fact we owned the Jack Queen King Ace t-shirt. He's ready to tell you the impact that Zay Jones will bring to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Sam Blecka is here. What's going on, dude? Oh, you know, just trying to keep up with the free agency and interested to see what Jacksonville fails at next, you know, it doesn't matter who they bring in, how many players they bring in, they will never replace Blake Bortles as quarterback in that uh, one run they had where they lost terribly to the Patriots. I think you mean David Garrard and all Byron the same, aren't they? Like they're all just and kind Steve of the same. Berline. <laughs> well, that's good one they had that was consistent with Mark Burnell. I'm Sean Deegan, as I said, and I, like Julio Jones, at this point in my life, I'm just trying to make it to the next payday. As Sam alluded to, we are all just doing our best to keep up with things. I I am happy that today was a somewhat slow day at work for once for me, because I'm pretty sure I refreshed Twitter about 15 times per second, trying to get some information, uh, just because it was coming fast and furious, and then it'd be dead periods, and then everything happens at once. Uh, this afternoon, our rundown, thankfully, is is very uh, open-ended, uh, maybe just because I'm lazy as a host, but more information coming down now about Von Miller's contract, amongst everything else that's happened. So just to start with, again, to stay broad, what surprised you guys the most to this point? What's caught you off guard, surprised you, shocked you, taking you back? Um, Jacob will come to you to start things off tonight. My biggest shock is the old guys' paydays. That's that's the one that surprised me. It doesn't ever surprise me when teams come out and throw a bunch of money at the young guys on their first contracts. That's just kind of how free agency happens at this point. So the Jags deals, it, much like you guys are joking about making throwing a lot of money at some guys that have some talent there but ne- haven't necessarily proven it at all. That doesn't surprise me as much as some of the old guys that are just getting paid, like Von Miller. Zadarius Smith got more money than I thought he would. Uh, it wasn't a ton, but – and then Chandler Jones as well. It's like, oh, my goodness, I thought those were realistic options for the Chiefs because I thought those guys would be on, you know, one, two-year deals at 10-ish to 15-ish million a year, and I was very wrong. So those have been the biggest surprises for me and – change my perspective on what the Chiefs should do as well. Sam, how about you? What's taking you back thus far uh, with free agency? I think for me, it's been just the aggressiveness of some of the teams, um, specifically within our own division, um, how it's very evident that kind of as we talked about um, after the Super Bowl, teams really did see what the Rams did and are like, all right, we, I think we can do that too. So some of the trades and some of the, the moves that have been made in free agency by, again, specifically the AFC West teams, just showing that they're not afraid of the chiefs at all. And they're going to come, come at us with everything they got next year, for sure. I think for me, the level of aggressiveness early on, I think Jaguars is, is from the Jaguars is my biggest deal. It's just that, the amount of money that they spent on a lack of diversity was what, what took me back. Not again, Jacob, to your point, like the guys they got were, were on the younger side. Uh, you know, Christian Kirk being 25, uh, Zay Jones, I don't have his age in front of me, 26, almost, almost 27. So not, not that old. There's youth there compared to some of the other signings, but it seemed like they just brought in more uh, LaVisca Chenault guys. I'm not sure if you pronounce his name that way, but that's the best I got. Um, and, and there's not really a whole lot of diversity. And then they brought, I think they bring in another tight end, like Evan Ingram or somebody like that. It's just like, 
what are they what are you doing here like there's no diversity to this offense and especially with a guy like Doug Peterson now manning things I thought that they might bring more of a chiefs look uh where it's like this receiver does this like guys have very specific roles and to see them just go get we're going to get three new slot receivers and a second tight end and we're going to see what happens um especially with like Travis Etienne coming back this year. Like he's a guy that they talk about playing in the slot half the time anyway, as a running back. So it took me off guard. It was weird to me. It might be an easy answer, but that was definitely the one that just kind of grabbed my attention. Moving to more specific stuff. And and we can even like take this Sam, to your, to your point, uh, originally on the rundown, I put this as AFC West teams uh, as our next topic point on kind of the moves that they made. If we want to expand this to the AFC in general, I think that is reasonable uh, because if you look at like the spending amount that's gone on in the AFC so far, it's like a billion dollars more than the amount of spending that's happened in the NFC. Uh, according, I think Matt Berteram retweeted the the source of that, so you can find it. I think on his um, timeline if you're looking, it's just insanity. And then now with the news coming out. If you haven't heard, uh, by the time this drops, which I'd be stunned if you haven't, Vaughn Miller signing the $120 million contract over six years with the Buffalo Bills. These are all teams, and you factor in the Bills, the guys, the teams in the AFC West, these are all teams that the Chiefs have had to fend off to, to get to where they want to be. The next question here I have for you guys, specifically AFC West, if you want to take it out to the AFC, I think that's completely reasonable. Which AFC West team or AFC team's edge rush duo do you like the most now? Because we've seen everything change now. Chandler Jones goes to the Raiders and they send off Ngakwe for Rocky Asin uh, from the Colts. Um, Obviously, Khalil Mack coming to join Joey Bosa uh, in Los Angeles with the Chargers. That's going to be a dogfight when Khalil Mack is your number two pass rusher. Denver bringing in uh, Gregory from Dallas alongside hopefully what they what they're hoping I'm assuming is a Bradley Chubb a lot of bookends and the the Chiefs were kind of hoping to get a hold of and now Von Miller going to Buffalo what what do you guys if you had to pick one of those groups who what would you want Sam we'll start with you here no I think if anyone says anything except for Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack um you're absolutely nuts because that is slightly terrifying now with the addition of also, I mean, obviously not secondary, but, uh, or not pass rushers, but now JC Jackson on that team as well. That's just bonkers. Like that's going to be, we better hope that, uh, that uh, Orlando Brown signs that tender and um, we figure out whatever's going on the right tackle because that's going to be a long day for Patrick Mahomes with going against those guys. It, it's almost kind of reminiscent of like the Dwight Freeney um, and Mathis days with the Colts where it was like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, who do you try to block at this point? Because if you try to double up on one, the other one's just going to eat you alive. And if you can't really do anything else besides just pray at that point, Jake, what about you? Are you with Sam that it's both and Mac or bust, or or do you maybe look at one of the others and go, I, I think this we might be overlooking this group? I think it's closer than Sam's making it out to be. I I do think this, first off, I think the Broncos are third. The Broncos are hoping on a lot of upside in both guys. Bradley Chubb has never loved up to his draft position. Randy Gregory has gotten in a lot of trouble uh, for different drug charges, and that's just failing drug test funny funny thing is i had randy gregory and greg hardy mixed up and i thought the broncos had signed greg hardy and i was like oh great greg <laughs> hardy anyway. actually just got cut from the ufc so almost. <laughs> right right i think both guys you know coming from the cowboys i i had molded them into one guy because of how little i was paying attention to them but that was my confusion there but yeah, i think that's third place no doubt i do think it's a better argument a close argument that Sam's making it out to be as far as Chargers or Raiders. I think Bosa, Crosby, I think those are the two most fearful ones. Crosby scares me a little more. Bosa, 
I know his numbers say good. I like his brother way more. I like Nick Bosa way more than like Joey Bosa as far as just what they bring. That's like saying though, like you like Zeus better than Apollo. Like it is, it is. They're like, both very good. Very, they're very, very good. Like I am saying, <laughs> I can argue for either one. And before Sam even answered, I had I was gonna choose the Raiders just because I like those two better than. Cleo Mack and Chandler Jones are both the question mark guys as far as Cleo Mack is. Okay, you, you were out last year. What do you have in the tank still? Chandler Jones, he's also been a pretty consistent guy until – and he's still been consistent. But he had a good amount of his sack totals come from early in the year. But both guys still scare me a lot. I'm not saying they aren't good players. The Chiefs have to zag when the rest of their league has – done the zig i i think this more and more just shows that go all offense but again i was taking the raiders by maybe just a hair only because i'm terrified of khalil max what his health situation is if you gave me prime all guys i would 100 percent go chargers i'm just playing the health factor into it yeah I, i'm thinking i'm with sam where it's uh, I Chargers are one. I think Raiders are a close second, though. Like, I, I do think Matt Crosby's legit. Um, Chandler Jones, if he's healthy, is still a monster. I think that one could be closer than maybe I even I think on that. If we expand this to the AFC, though, and not just the AFC West, like, Dark Buffalo scares the hell out of me, man. Like, they've got two young edge rushers who, granted, didn't have super high sack totals with Boogie Basham and then Greg Rousseau. But you get them in the lab now with Vaughn Miller? Like, that's terrifying. And especially because that was a team that, like, even though they had good edge play, and, and obviously, like, Ed Oliver in the middle, but we're talking about edge, edge duos at this point. They're both kind of more power, which didn't really scare me as much. So I feel like that's what the Chiefs handle well right now with their line. But now you get Vaughn Miller in there, and you just line him up over Orlando Brown Jr., and it's like, stop him. I dare you. That's And I think that's a scary proposition for me is that I look around the other edge rushers, and this is why I give Chargers the edge, is that most of the guys that are in this division still win with power. And so while it's not – while I agree, Jacob, I'm scared of all of it, I'm not – as terrified of the other teams as I am the Chargers is because Joey Bosa can still win with speed. And if he's healthy, he can he still has great bursts off the edge. And I think at this point in Khalil Mack's career, he's definitely more power-based than, than, than that explosive burst off the edge. Maybe closer to a, a high-end Justin Houston later in their career if you took their, like, quote-unquote drop-offs. But you still have Bosa, and that's the part that scares me. So – I'm with Sam and you. Like it's Chargers one, Raiders are close one A, Broncos are a third. Then if you expand to the AFC, just in general, Bills scare the hell out of me. My one retort I'm going to come back to you guys with on the Khalil Mack because yeah, injuries are are something you can never predict how how he's going to come back. The man played seven games last year and had six sacks. <laughs> like it's you're acting like he's falling off a cliff. I I don't think in like again the injury is something that you can't stay or you can't really know how that's going to affect him but i'd still think he is one of the most dangerous pass rushers in the nfl because of his ability to do so many different things like you said with justin houston because he can he was able to do the power moves the the speed every he had kind of everything so you say that khalil mack will be the number two if he comes back healthy, Joey Bosa is the number two in that in that pass rushing system, and you're concentrated on Khalil Mack because of how dominant he can be. My thing with Chandler Jones, and I could be completely off on this. This just could be hopeful of me. I'm looking at him almost like when the Raiders got Richard Seymour, where Richard Seymour came off a very good season. I just looked it up. He had eight sacks the year before he went to the Raiders, and then he just kind of was like, yeah, I can still play a little bit. I had like four or five sacks a year. Still good as a defensive tackle. But, like, that's what I'm hoping for Chandler Jones is, like, he goes there and it's just like, all right, I got paid. I, I'll contribute a little bit here and there, but it ultimately just have that Richard, Richard Seymour career of the Raiders. I hadn't thought of that, but, yeah, that, that definitely could be. And, like I said, like, it's, 
if they're all healthy, it's Chargers. They are they are terrifying. I would also again push back. If you look at Chandler Jones, he's had more dynamic seasons than Cleo Mack has had in his career. Yeah, I'm not for any way saying Chandler Jones is is bad. <laughs> right, right. I don't think either of us are, but I mean Cleo Cleo Mack two eight and a half sacks and nine sacks, not bad season. I would take those sack seasons from any of our defensive linemen at this point. <laughs> but also to think that he is Derek Thomas is also misleading. But again, if he's healthy, they they the Chiefs have some work to do on the O line again. At the end of the day, what we're coming across here is our tackles better be real good this year because all three teams, even with the Broncos signing Randy Gregory as obviously the lower of the three, yeah, it's going to be a be a long year, I think, potentially. Sam, to retort to what you just said, I already looked up Laramie Tunsil's situation again. He restructured his contract to stay with the Texans 24 hours ago. Yes, he did. The other thing I want to say about Khalil Mack to back up Sam a little bit is that Khalil Mack also played for the Raiders for the first, like, four years of his career. And they were not good at that time. And he still was putting – he was putting up not just, like, high sack totals, but he's getting, like, more than 70 tackles per game. That that was when they had a terrible defense, and it was just literally manage Khalil Mack and you will score points on the Raiders. Yeah, and so like I, I do wonder how much of that factors into his tolls. And again, we're we're talking about two guys who are probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. But I I wonder how much that would factor into his his argument for who's better out of him and Jones. Obviously, it's a whole different conversation now. But you just had to say Hall of Fame, didn't you? Yep. You got me going. going man. You've got me going. Cleo Max not even close to a shoe in, but Chandler Jones, on the other hand, give him three I more say seasons. But he's I got going. a case. Khalil Mack's going to the Hall of Fame. He'll, he'll be there. He won't. I don't know if he'll be first ballot, but I think he'll get in. Well, the funny thing is, you know, the sack totals are such a finicky thing because mm-hmm. of how opportunistic of a thing is. But that's a hundred percent what the the Hall of Fame uses. So, having said all of this, obviously we focused on the edge quite a bit, but that's not the only move that's gone on to this point. Obviously, the AFC West is, is, has now kind of gone bananas, specifically the Chargers the most in terms of their defense. But like we talked about last week with Russell Wilson going to the Broncos, where it's a much better fit, maybe closer to what he experienced in the early days of Seattle with a, with a really good running game and lots of weapons around him to throw to. This is a good team now. If, if everything kind of plays out how we think it will, the Chargers went out and just went bananas. They go get Khalil Mack deal done. They bring in my dream free agent who, you know, Jacob rightly tried to, to calm me on, which was JC Jackson. They bring him in on a deal where he gets 40 million guaranteed. That secondary is going to be sick. If you look at the, those, those guys across the back. like, And then you put the, the pass rush up front. It's a really terrific combination. So my question to you guys is, is now which team poses the biggest threat for the Chiefs going forward? Um, we'll flip things around and Jacob start with you this time. Well, I have kind of almost conflicting arguments between the pass rush and this because I think you go ahead and put Raiders at the bottom of the list right off the bat just because of who their quarterback is. And another question I even asked myself about the Raiders is, and they clearly they're not going to do this based on signing Chandler Jones is if it was me, I'd look at it and be like, you know what? It's not going to happen for about two ish years minimum. Let's go ahead and just blow this thing up. That would have been my goal through about it, but they clearly still believe in Derek Carr and the theory that we as chiefs fans bought into her for a long time of, if you get enough guys around Alex Smith, Trent Green, Damon Heward, this team can do it. So that's where the Raiders are at. They're fourth. I don't, I don't think there's any argument there. Russell Wilson is still a question mark to me in a sense. I'm, I'm putting them at third. And I, I think the Broncos, I'm not going to say they have the worst defense in the division because I still think that the Raiders will struggle because they're pretty star heavy on defense. 
much like a team that we know like to do on defense with stars and a bunch of guys until recently. So I think it's got to be the Chargers. They've loaded up clearly, but I also do think that they've shortened their window in a sense because of how much money they decided to throw around. But at the same time, I get it because Herbert's on a rookie contract. It's what you should do. You should throw the money now and then later on figure it out. But they've clearly solidified the roster. Again, the thing with the Chargers, like every year, who stays healthy? Because they've paid a lot of guys that don't play a lot. And as far as, again, like I said, if everyone on that team's healthy, that team's terrifying. That's the problem, though. They have a lot of money in guys that you don't know are going to play more than 10 games in a year. We'll see. But as far as the J.C. Jackson signing, yes, great signing. But the reason I don't get too worked up about the corner market is because I am a Chiefs fan at this point. And cornerback play is so finicky that one year you're locked down. The next, everyone's like, this guy is terrible. And we we agree. The eyeball test says, yeah, the guy's not playing well. So I don't like paying corners for that reason. To me, it's a, it's in a sense, it's like running backs, not as much as the injury thing, but just they're so hot and cold that I don't want to pay them. On the flip side of that, keeping along with this same argument about cornerback play, you also have to have some guys there. And right now it's a little scary that the depth doesn't seem to be there. I think the Chiefs know that too and that they're going to have to go out and get some. So either way. It's still the Chargers to me, but I think they they're just they have the potential to be so high or so low. Sam, what about you? Which which team out of the West is one that you think poses the biggest challenge to Kansas City? I'm right there with Jacob as far as the ordering. Um, I guess Chargers, Broncos, Raiders. I think it's pretty close between the Broncos and Chargers. The one reason I'm putting the Chargers above them is they do have a loaded roster. And they gave us problems last year, obviously. They gave us fits last year, and they've done nothing to, but got better, essentially. The Broncos, I, I am still at a question mark, purely coaching-related. We don't know. Yes, Russell Wilson is a vast improvement over the quarterbacks they had last year, but now they've got an untested head coach that is going to have to go into the toughest division. And if anyone wants to argue with me that the AFC West is not now not the toughest division in the NFL – I'm, I'm happy to do it because it's gotten ridiculous at this point. Um, and he's going to have to show that, you know, he is worthy of being a head coach in the NFL. Um, so he's kind of been thrown into the fire in, in that sense. So, but uh, yeah, the Raiders are, as always, we will lose one game to them and not understand why, but I, I just don't think they have quite, as much umph as what the Broncos and Chargers have. And the Chargers, yeah, Jacob, Jacob's right. They they do have that Chargers curse that always seems to kind of hamper them in some way. But th- that roster is just so loaded. And, again, Justin Herbert, I bond over him enough that I think people probably understand if you listen to the podcast how I feel about him as a quarterback. Um, John's kind of in the same boat. So I think if he can continue to develop, if we see a jump, the scary thing is if we see a jump like we saw – Josh Allen make with Justin Herbert, the whole NFL is going to be put on notice real quick. Um, so that's that'll be an interesting thing to watch. But no, it, it'll be an interesting year for sure. I, I it, it's very close to to as much as a Chiefs podcast as this is. I we're getting to the point. I don't know if we can say we're the favorites as much anymore as we have been in the past um, past several years. Sam, I was going to say there's an argument to be made for the. NFC South with uh, the Saints, the Falcons, the Panthers. Before Brady Brady came back, what was that division going to be? I will shut down this. I will shut down this right now. (laughs) That was the uh, AFC South, the year when Peyton Manning was hurt before they got Andrew Luck, where it was just like, what is happening? Some someone's got to win the division, but no one wants to. <laughs> Seahawks and they won the division seven and nine. That's what that division is. I'm with you guys. I don't have anything too different to add. It's just the Chargers. They've got the young quarterback. 
you're doing exactly what you should do with a quarterback on a on a rookie contract. They're loading up around him. They brought back his his all, most of his weapons. Well, his only weapon that was going to get away really was Mike Williams. I'm sure they're going to look to add in the draft. And they just shored up every possible hole they could have. You know, I went and looked at their depth chart, and it's in their three four system like. You have Kenneth Murray in the middle. You have Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack. Your secondary now includes Asante Samuel Jr., Derwin James, Nasir Adderley, who was a guy that I was like 50-50 with on who do you go get, Adderley or Thornhill. It was this big debate uh, for for me and a guy I used to work with and most Chiefs fans that I remember. And now you add J.C. Jackson, who is a guy that you can kind of set it and forget it and, and still has ball-hawking skills. It is, it is going to be difficult. And I get, and now the Chiefs are in a position where they have to draft well because they don't have the quarterback on the rookie contract anymore. And we're seeing now how hampering it can be when you have a guy like Frank Clark on the roster whose contract, while yes, they did a good job of the whole of creating cap space and not kicking the can down the road necessarily. How much nicer would it be if you could go into this offseason without even hitting the restructure button on Mahomes' contract with $20 million in cap space? Like these are these are the things like, and I and I get like what they did at the time, but these are the 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 payments that come due. It's it's great. It's like a credit card. I swipe it, I just set it and forget it for a month, and oh crap, I got a payment due here. And and I gotta pay on this for a while now. That's kind of where the Chiefs are at. They're close to being able to get the thing paid off. You know, next year they should be out from you know, Anthony Hitchens. They should be out from Frank Clark. But they're in it right now. And that's this is going to be a grind where they're, they're having to wait out the first wave to get to that secondary market. And then they better hit on draft picks. Like they Sean, have- this whole – this whole credit card thing seems like it's a very personal thing for you. Didn't you and haven't you work, been working in the credit field? Oh, I did. But then I got married. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, I had a payment here. I get it. Oh, my credit's immaculate. But it's because I, I understand the pain that comes sometimes with a credit card payment, having served so many people who have them. But yeah, I... I hope that the Chiefs hit. I really hope that they don't go out and just start throwing their draft picks around, trying to fill holes with guys who may not be up to the job at this point. Like, I've seen Daniil Hunter get a lot of talk right now, and I'd be fine if they brought him in, but you can't give up your top picks for him now. Well, that's my question back to you then. I don't think they can afford to trade any picks because of any different things on the roster that you can look at and see. And I know that's a future question, so we won't get much more into it right this second. Well, let's go ahead and move into more Chiefs-specific discussions. And we can bounce around because like, this whole offseason has been nothing but a big ball pit and everyone's playing in. But the Chiefs have been pretty much quiet in free agency. And I brought up Frank Clark uh, here just a moment ago, so I'll let you guys get in here. What do you make of this restructure? Um, we kind of talked about it before the podcast. Um, Chief Bearcat on Twitter kind of helped break down the the report from Matt Verderam who talked about how they kind of gar- – Verderam's initial report says that they guaranteed $6.8 million in what is now a two-year deal for Frank Clark. Um, I'll give you the full details of his contract here that they've at least released. Um, this is off of WIBW.com. Uh, out of Topeka, they talk about how the deal is now worth – uh, $29 million over two years. There are incentives that could increase that total number to $36 million. Um, Frank Clark was scheduled to carry a $26.3 million cap hit. Essentially what they've done is they've taken the amount that he was going to cost them if they cut him and made that his salary for the year, made that what he's able to earn. Um, essentially what they've done is, again, off Chief Bearcat on Twitter, who's like a cap wizard on this kind of thing talks about how it's going to save the chiefs about 11.6 million dollars this year there's about a million change less than they might have saved if they just outright cut him but then 2023 he'll have a base salary of 22 million dollars that's basically a year they can just cut him and get out from basically the, the full amount 
we'll see about these when the specifics come out just if they'll have any dead cat but as of right now it looks like they'll be able to walk on at least most of it all that being said how do you guys feel about frank clark sticking around because he will be on the team this coming season how do you guys feel about it how do you feel about the restructured contract um sam we'll start with you i guess it's again nowhere near a fan of frank clark um but this is kind of one of those best of a bad situation if you're going to be paying a guy or, or going to be losing a money money for a guy you might as well have him on the roster i guess um frank clark has shown that he's lost most of what got him that contract originally or it's just not showing up so we can hope that i guess he sees this as kind of his last opportunity to show that he is worthy of one more big payday just not with the chiefs hopefully um and comes out and plays well um again i don't think he'll ever be the guy that we traded for uh, for the seahawks but we saw spurts last year, kind of right at the end of the year, where he was starting to play a little bit better. Maybe he can bring that into this upcoming year. But yeah, it's kind of best of a bad situation in general. And you're you're the money was there or the money was dead anyway, so you might as well get the services of the guy that was causing it. So, Jane, what about you? How do you feel about Frank Clark restructuring his contract rather than the Chiefs cutting him and him being on the team next year? Yeah. That's how I felt when it happened. When it initially, initially happened, before any details came out, I was like, please don't tell me they pushed a bunch of money into the second year and then he's going to be uncuttable next year. That was my initial fear. I was like, are we seriously going to do this? Because it's not unlike the Chiefs to say, hey, let's move money into the future and then never pay it off. It'd be like if you had a credit card. No. (laughs) 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 But, but yeah, initially I, I was like, oh, man, are you kidding me? Then after seeing the details, I was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because you're essentially paying him $1 million this year and nothing, and you don't have to keep him next year because if you would have cut him, you would have saved the twelve or whatever, and they're saying keeping him this year with the restructured contract was saving 11.5 or something along those lines. Either way, like I said, they need bodies as simple as that is. Frank Clark was not good last year. We know this. He had two or three games where it was like, he's back. And then he was back to terrible very quickly. But they need bodies, and I think they viewed it as a necessity. Again, they need a lot of guys. We know this. That's what happens when you pay your quarterback. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. Like, my initial reaction was, what the hell? But... Once it was broken down and I kind of understood the money a little bit better, at least based on what kind of Chief Bearcat is is estimating based on his knowledge of the cap, it made me feel better. It's still a it is still a frustrating situation. Like you shouldn't have had to be here, and it goes back to the whole argument of that I'm not going to get into. Like everyone wants to debate, like, well, was it a great trade or a bad trade? It's like it's a bad trade that worked out. Like, he played well enough the first year and had a really solid run in the postseason. And he's been bad comparatively to the contract that he received since. And that contract is now prohibiting them from being able to make moves around their quarterback who they had to pay and should have paid. But you now have this contract hovering over you. Same thing with Anthony Hitchens, just to a lesser extent. Like, I think if Clark Clark wasn't here, we'd be having this conversation about Hitchens, too. These are the things that the the sins of a, a bad, you know, couple of years for Brett Veach in terms of taking big swings. We're seeing the, the repercussions of it now. They might have to, to take one on the chin this coming uh this coming season and just do the best they can because you're right, Jacob, like they have so many holes still. Charverius Ward is gone and, and that sucks. Like, and he got paid and I'm happy for him. Like he should get paid. He's his story is incredible, but you no longer have Tyron Matthew either. And again, probably time to move on, but that was a big swing that worked and to not have that leadership is going to be really tough. You no longer have Melvin Ingram on the outside, and you didn't have anybody behind him to start anyway. 
That's why you tried to move Chris Jones to edge, which failed horribly. They're in a tough spot. So I appreciate having his having a body there. Like because like you said, but it's it's you need bodies. You need people to play. And if he's healthy, I think Frank Clark is is above average defensive end. But man, to have to even be in this position where we're talking about it, that sucks. That one's the tough part. I saved this next question because I wanted to go more towards positive stuff as we moved on here and get the negative crap out of the way with the whole Frank Clark situation. But let's talk about the one move the Chiefs did make. And I'm talking about them bringing back Michael Burton to play fullback. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Which also, though, Michael Burton's the man. Uh, This year might actually fulfill Jacob's guess on – I want it on record. I heard this stat from Arrowhead Pride on their editor show with Pete Sweeney that he had 11 touches last year. 11 touches, not snaps, touches. And they equaled 10 first downs and a touchdown. The only person who's close to that efficient was Jody Fortson before he got hurt. I'm just saying. <laughs> Who also is tender to contract, yeah. so he'll be back. Right and back. Andrew Wiley Zero. will be back. Yeah, filling holes everywhere, man. All these guys getting paid absolutely nothing. I do like that. I do too like that. I do like those minimum contracts. Uh, it'd be like this... it'd be like if you had a credit card, but you only <laughs> shopped at Goodwill. <laughs> Just pay it off in full every month with the dollar fifty that you spent. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, this this signing, however, was not a minimum contract. However, it was a good signing in my opinion. I'll tip my cap at least that much here. And the Chiefs brought in former Texan safety. Don't fall out of your seats, guys. There's more to talk about with this. It's not just the Texans. Former Texan safety Jordan Reed. Justin. Say again? Justin. Oh, did I say Jordan? I'm sorry. Justin Reed. That's why we have an edit button, folks. Justin Reed uh, to play safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. This essentially does spell the end of, of Tyron Matthews' tenure in Kansas City. But if you were going to fill his spot, this kind of checks a lot of boxes. The guy who went to Stanford, we know he's smart. He's got great size for safety, 6'1", a little more than 200 pounds. Freak of an athlete for his size at safety. Can play deep, and in fact plays deep most of the time. But will also play in the box, will crash quickly to the ball. And this is all like... Again, this is not my own film study. This is the film study of people like Dan Harms at RGR Football, Seth Kaiser at The Athletic and Chief of the North Newsletter. There's a lot of film getting floating around that has got me really excited about Reed coming to Kansas City. How do you guys feel about it? Signed here for three years, $31.5 million with the Chiefs. Jacob, we'll start with you. What was your reaction to the Reed signing? It'd be like if you had a credit card and you only shopped at Goodwill. But then you would shop at Goodwill so much that you had enough money to go shop at Target instead. They they made a little bit of a cold move and saying, bye, Tyron, you're old, you have injury history, we're just going to go get younger. So I'm very on board with it. Sam, what about you? How did you feel about Justin Reed being brought to Kansas City? Yeah, I thought it was a great move. Um, again, Tyron Matthew is, will be forever a – symbol within the Chiefs because obviously he was a part of the Super Bowl. But yeah, he he's getting older. He's not declining in any sense, but I don't think they wanted to give him another big contract. So being able to get another very high quality safety. And again, I just watch all of the Texans games. So I know everything there is to know about Justin Reed. Like I just studied him constantly. So I know exactly how good of a safety he actually is. But no, he 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 seems in in all on paper, everything I've read and looked at to be a very solid safety that will match up well with Thornhill. Um, I actually, it was just one of those, like, I looked at him, I looked at his size, and I was like, he reminds me of somebody. And then I looked at the measurables, and it's really creepy how much he reminds me of somebody. And that's one Eric Berry. Go look at how similar they are as far as their size, speed, every aspect of them. And it's like, hey, we got a Maybe maybe if he can play to somewhat of a level of Eric, Eric Berry, we might have another safety on our hands here. Um, so, yeah, I, I was happy about the move. I thought it was a really good good decision. Sure is up the 
secondary, which was obviously, well, starts to share up the secondary, which was obviously a big question going in this offseason. So yeah, I'm excited to have him for sure. Is he able to cover tight ends? It sure it's looks like it. Yeah. He, I mean, he may, is he may, is, he may be the defensive tight end light, basically. To defensive emphasize... H-back. That's what he is. Defensive H-back. To emphasize your, your point about his athleticism, Sam, his combine numbers, and this is from NFL.com, who graded him as a year one starter. 4.440 yard dash, 16 reps in the bench, 36.5 vertical jump, did a 10.6 on the broad jump, cone drill 6.65, 20-yard shuttle 4.15. That's ridiculous for a guy who's was just under 6'1", 207 pounds. He's, he's an athletic stud. And the thing that makes me excited about this is, well, two things I should say. One is schematically what it allows you to do. Because if you watch the stuff that Seth Kaiser put out here on his, he did a film article just that it got released today on his Chief of the North newsletter. And looks like Reed plays pretty much uh, deep safety to start most of the time. He's very fluid, reacts well to the ball, crashes hard uh, when, when he reads something that comes up. He just looks terrific. But he'll also play you know, kind of that nickel linebacker at times or dime linebacker at times. He's, he's great at man-to-man, uh, as well as the deep zone. Looks like he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, similar to kind of how what they talked about, how Tyron Matthew can kind of be played all over the field. Jordan Reed, Jordan, I keep calling him Jordan Reed, Justin Reed can kind of do a little bit of the same thing. And I think that this all, that allows you some flexibility on how you use Juan Thornhill. Because Juan Thornhill is an athletic stud too. Move him all over the place. Mask your coverages. And, and both in their athletic prime at this point in their careers, I think it allows you to do a lot of things differently between those two guys. Let them both – let one Thornhill come play at the line of scrimmage. Put one. They, there was a lot of talk when Thornhill came out that he could play some nickel corner. I think this – having a guy who can also play the deep safety role and play it well allows you a lot of flexibility on what scheme – or what you do with your scheme between those two, just those two. And the second thing is, this is one of the few times I have felt that the Chiefs didn't have to overpay someone in free agency to bring them to Kansas City. He's got a three-year deal. His cap hit this this season, this is off Spotrack, uh, is going to be $4.5 million, uh, $4,550,000 to be exact. Um, dead caps really high the first two years. Um, his second year, the cap hit goes up to 12.7. His last year, his cap hit is 14, uh, 14250000 But he doesn't have that much guaranteed money at the back end, so you could cut him after two years if it doesn't work out and save $10.7 million. Like, you're not carrying a lot of dead cap at the back end. This is, I think, this is an even better like situation than in, in terms of contract than you had with Tyron Matthew. And granted, Tyron Matthew was a much more accomplished player at this point in their careers. Like, it's not the same thing. But I feel like getting Justin Reed in here on that level of a deal is a big win for Kansas City where you don't have to overspend for a guy who does have the upside to be an impact level player in your, on your defense and specifically in the secondary where they need a lot of help right now. So I, I love this signing. Like, I don't know if he's an A level player. Like I, I if I were to grade it and get, I would say an A, but I think it's an A because of all of the factors that come around. you got a quality player without having to overpay that allows you a lot of flexibility on defense still, who is as you've pointed out, Jacob, is in his athletic prime. I think it's a great fit. I love it. So let's look ahead a little bit. Because... Real quick, Sean, I, I did have the realization because I don't want you to cut out your mix-up for uh, Jordan and Justin Reed. I realize why you said Jordan Reed, and that's because you think Jordan Reed's the next defensive tight end. So he, maybe he can stay on the field on the defensive side. He, he would be the one laying a hit instead of taking a hit. So I'm more on board with Jordan Reed playing defensive tight end than I am an actual tight end. It must have been why he sat out last year. He was spending that time to train to become the defensive tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. 
that would make a lot of sense. I appreciate you helping me out there. Yeah. Let's look ahead a little bit now, because I think this is where it gets interesting for Kansas City. Obviously, things have not gone well in the edge market. They lost out on Vaughn Miller. They lost out on Chandler Jones. Uh, they lost out, excuse me, on um, Zadarius Smith, who got cut from the Packers. He ends up going to Baltimore. Pretty much anybody the Chiefs had been connected with went somewhere else. And again, like how much they were actually involved, we probably won't know. We were hopeful they would get at least somebody to help supplement their pass rush. On top of that, while they did bring in Reed, they do lose Tyron Matthew, which is a massive leader on defense. You lose uh, your your number one corner with you lose your number one corner with Charvarius Ward going to the 49ers on a deal that I think it pays him like $14 million per. It's a lot of money. Where do they go next? Because the corner market dried up pretty quick too. Now I've, I've seen guys like Craig Stout at Kansas City Sports Network talk about how there's still some young proven talent at like slot corner on free agency market, which is something I know basically nothing about. But they don't have an, a, a legitimate number one corner that can make an impact the way J.C. Jackson can available to them. There's not another top-end pass rusher available to them. Where do they go from here, defensively or offensively? Um, we'll flip things, Jacob, and, and let you start things off. I'm still believing in receiver. I still believe in it. I, I think you load up on offense. I think you can live with – number one most important thing is this. Patrick Mahomes stays healthy. Patrick Mahomes stays happy. You load up on offense and let him go shoot it out if needed. I'm terrified of fixing – the Chiefs have some fixes, right? That's what you go into every offseason trying to do is fix your team. I'm terrified that they'll go and do, hey, we 75% fixed our offense and we 75% fixed our defense. I'm on board with saying we 99% fixed our offense and we – 60% fixed our defense, and we're going to have to have a second offseason to get it fully right. I'm all right with that because of Patrick Mahomes and because I don't think you're going to win games with defense anyway at this point with what you have and where what you need to get and your current situation of how highly paid your offense is at this point. I'm 100% okay with let's just go try to – play a game and win 50 to 45. Now it's not going to be those big numbers in the NFL, but we've seen it once before. So I'm still hoping there's a receiver out there. As of about a minute ago, Chris Godwin's official deal was three years for 60 million. So just price tag wise, if you want a guy coming off a good year and on his first or second contract, it's going to cost you 20 million per year is what we're seeing. So we also, that's some news for us for the Tyreek Hill situation. I would expect the wide receiver market to maybe finally start to shake out at this point with Godwin getting his number. So hopefully that helps things get going. I can tell you what Godwin's number is because it just came down. Yeah, three for 60, right? Yeah, I just saw it now. This is from Rappaport and Schefter. Um, If you haven't seen what Jacob's alluding to here is the three for 60 with 40 million guaranteed. Yeah, so 20 a year when you break it down. That was exactly what Mike Williams got as well after having a good year. So both guys, that's that's the market to pay a guy who's still considered not on the downside of their career that had a good season. Again, what does that mean for, I think, the top two targets that everyone's listed at this point are Allen Robinson and Juju Smith-Schuster which supposedly Juju Smith-Schuster's first name is John Sherman. You can connect the dots to the Royals owner for Samuel. Zach Grinke. Wait, what am I talking about? No, rewind. Yeah, so that's where I'm still very focused on is the offense, mainly receiver. But also, I think you've got to look at you might need to make a move for a tackle. I know Wiley's coming back. That guy's your swing tackle. Hopefully, I hope there's no intention of that man starting full-time. Not that he's terrible. He has made strides, but I do not want to be a full-time guy. Niang has not really been available. If they think somehow that's going to change, great. I mean, his play has been okay. 
but he also was a rookie, so who knows what he could be. But there are some names out there that you might you would have to take a swing on, and I still don't think that would happen. Again, my biggest fear is that they 75% fix both sides of the ball. I I am of the opinion at this point, go 100% offense. Sam, what about you? Are you on board with Jacobs all offense all the time? Are you looking at receiver tackle, or do you still think there are guys out there defensively that you think they should pursue at this point? I will say I don't think they're probably going to touch the offensive line. Um, I think after spending heavily on it last year, I think that'll probably be one that they try to make see if it if it's solidified. Obviously, I would say the interior is maybe one of the better interiors in the NFL, and we just have those questions of tackles. But I think they're going to wait to see rather than be reactionary on that. Um, <clears throat> Defensive-wise, it, it's not as much – I obviously, we have holes on the defense. The problem is the number of the plug-and-play guys, the guys that you can just bring in and be like, all right, that position's fixed, is starting to dwindle. Um, now you're getting the older guys, the guys that have had boomer bust seasons, um, kind of kind of Melvin Ingram-esque of, of last year, where you don't know what you're going to really get out of them. So I defensive-wise, I'd much prefer to see them wait this year um, till the end to start trying to pursue some of the guys that maybe aren't getting the contracts. That And I think the guys that you're looking at are, are random ones like um, – guys that have had just unbelievable success in the NFL, but are starting to get older and guys that just haven't ever performed to their performance. You're looking at miles Jack. Um, it's never been what he was drafted to be um, kind of the same with uh, Dante Fowler. Those, those type of edge rushers that have just never performed the way that they were brought in, have all the athletic skill, but just never been able to manifest it in a consistent level. So I, I, if we're going to spend money, I think wide receiver is. I think Jacob's right in that. But for me, it's a guy that just got cut, and he is one of has been one of my favorite wide receivers. He's not a, a flashy guy. Again, he if you've watched like you when you watch the the Browns, any anything about the Browns, I, I think you would be hard pressed not to fall in love with Jarvis Landry. I. I like even back when he was with the Dolphins, he is just that possession receiver. He's not the big possession receiver. He's that just safety blanket type receiver where he's complete opposite of what I've been praying for of 6'4", 240 pounds, just being able to ball hawk or just be able to uh, monster a cornerback. But he does the exact same thing at a much smaller size. He's kind of Steve Smith-esque where just can catch anything and just very reliable. So he'd be a... I think out of the available wide receivers, yeah, Juju Smith-Schuster would be awesome. You just get another explosive weapon, but how much is he going to cost in reality? Um, I don't think Jarvis Landry will demand as big a price as some of these other wide receivers just because he he has a name, but he doesn't have that name that drives price, if that makes sense to what I'm trying alluding to. He is just – everyone knows he's a very solid player – but he's not your game breaker that what everyone's looking for. Um, he's just, he's the safety blanket. And that's the kind of player that I think the chiefs offense really needs where, yeah, it'd be great to just line up all the game breaking players in the NFL on one team and be like, all right, let's just throw the ball around the yard. But sometimes you do need that guy. That's just like, all right, you need five yards. I'll get it to you. And then maybe get a couple extra after I get the ball. And that's what Jarvis Lander has been basically since he's been in the NFL. I, I want to push back on Sam a little bit. If you would have asked me two years ago about Jarvis Landry, I would have been 100% on board. But it was kind of – it was around the time with with the Chiefs playoff game that I was like, this guy is not what he used to be. So he is one I am not all that excited for. I wouldn't be upset. He makes the receiving core better, especially if his price tag's not very large, which I don't think it would be. But – his touchdown totals don't excite me. And like I said, the eyeball test just did not excite me anymore either. I do have another so question. basically what you just said is everything Sam said, Yeah, but the That's opposite. Not what he is. That's not what he is. Like, He's not the touchdown machine. He's not the guy that goes out and game breaks the game. He is, I need five yards. 
give me five yards. <laughs> like, and I, I think fair, he's been catching balls from Baker Mayfield. <laughs> it's not like he's had Patrick Mahomes again. I, I, again, that's the move where I'm looking at it as who can we afford realistically that's going to affect our help our offense in the best way possible. And out of who's available, yes, I would love Allen Robinson. I would love to see Juju Smith-Schuster on the Chiefs. But I don't think they're probably going to be as realistic options as what we would hope. Jarvis Landry is a guy that I think can come in and be an effective option on the offense that, like I said, a safety blanket for Patrick Mahomes, something Sammy Watkins-esque where he did what he did. He never performed to the level I think we got Sammy Watkins. We're like, oh, man, he's going to be awesome. No, but he could catch a 10-yard curl route and get you a first down. And I think that's what Jarvis Landry could be for us. Because, again, I agree. He is not what he was with the Dolphins. There's no doubt about that. I'm not even trying to argue that. But I think he's still a very reliable weapon that could be – could help the Chiefs wide receiver core immensely because it's something we haven't had, that reliability, outside of obviously Travis Kelsey and Tyreek to an extent. But Tyreek has such a different – game that it, he can be boomer bust very heavily well i was gonna say to me he better cost less than byron pringle because i think you're getting about the same thing from both guys at this point and oh I, I i don't agree with that at all they have this they, they put up the same kind of numbers they're the same type of dude at this point nope we're going to football reference i can't let that lie like okay, brown go for it baker mayfield throwing you the ball patrick mahomes throwing you the ball. <laughs> Go for it. I don't even love Brian Pringle that much. I've talked on here about how I think he's a pretty rigid athlete. But I do have one more question before it slips my mind as an old man. I, I have it written down somewhere, but now I don't know how to use my phone and find it anymore. But Fair. one sneaky move that just happened today as well that I'm like, man, why weren't the Chiefs in on that is the Colts traded for a – he'll be 27. A 27-year-old, 10 sacks – at 13 million, one year, 13 million. They traded a corner that I've never heard of from their team to get this pass rusher. Yannick and Dockway is on the Colts. I was like, man, that was kind of a sneaky good move that could have helped the Chiefs. So I wonder if, I wonder if that was in their thought process. Clearly, they get that's their full time job and they probably vetted every source and said, here's what we got. Here's what we got. I assume the Chiefs make. 200 trade attempts that we never hear a thing about. But well, that was an I think the problem with that one is you'd be trading with a conference rival. Right. Like, right. Yeah, I mean, there's all the that too. Like, like that's going to shoot that down pretty quick. Okay. So as far as the Byron Pringle comp, Byron Pringle has in 17 games, 60 targets, 42 catches, 560 yards, 568 yards and five touchdowns. So a solid season for him. Um, you are correct that the stats are similar for uh, Jarvis Landry. However, Jarvis Landry also played five fewer games because of injury. So, And that's exactly why yeah. I wouldn't want to pay him any more than Byron Pringle because the older you get, the more you get hurt. I'm fine paying him like one for seven. Like, I don't, I don't mind that. And Byron Pringle ain't getting that. Like, the upside with Jarvis Landry is much higher. I don't think Byron Pringle is... Because they're Byron Pringle also like is twenty eight years old. Like there's a year difference between them. Like it's not like Byron Pringle's some spring chicken. They're both old, dur for a receiver. <laughs> so I'm I'm way more on Jarvis Landry than I would be Byron Pringle. I agree with Sam. Like Baker Mayfield had one functional arm last year. Thank God it was his throwing arm because his left arm was in a sling the entire year. So. I think Landry could make an impact. I agree with – I actually, it's weird I'm, I'm arguing as vehemently as I am for Jarvis Landry because I, I am mostly on the – yeah, it wouldn't excite me, but I think it would fit fine train with Jarvis Landry. I think he'd be a, a solid chain mover. To me, at this point in his career, he's, he's a slow Jeremy Macklin. Like, it's, it's the guy who's going to move the chains. Macklin was a more dynamic player. He did what he had to do with the Alex Smith offense. But that's kind of the role he's going to serve. He's going to run those dig routes, crossers, the underneath stuff that's going to allow you to move the chains, which would be fine in this offense. It just wouldn't be as exciting as, like, you get Allen Robinson. Maybe the upside is the 1,100-yard the receiver that you had before. 
For me, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, but I'm all in on offense. Let's go. Like, I don't want to spend anything on Patrick Peterson, Xavier Rhodes, or anybody else that's out there right now. If, if one of the guys who actually, like, does film work at, like, Kansas City Sports Network or Kaiser or somebody who's way smarter than me tells me that a signing that the Chiefs make on defense is awesome, I'll, I'll believe them because they know more than I do. But as of right now, I know that Juju Smith-Schuster can have a 1,400-yard season. Maybe not with the Chiefs. Maybe it's 1,000 or 900 yards. Still better than anything they got opposite Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. Jarvis Landry, same thing. Allen Robinson, be a dream. I know what they can do if, if they're healthy and given the opportunity with a quality offense. I don't know what, what's left in the tank for some of these defenders because they have fallen off so much. Like Patrick Peterson, Patrick Peterson was on TV talking about how the Chiefs reached out, but he, he hasn't made a decision because, quote-unquote, money talks. How much money do you think you're going to get now, Patrick? Like he, He's not what he was. So that'd be my only concern is let's go all offense. Go go see if Trent Brown will take a one-year, $12 million deal to play right tackle for you, um, to, to just shore up the line. Like, no, no holes anywhere. Go get Jarvis Landry and Juju Smith-Schuster. Just F it. Let's go. Bring them all in. Let's just – don't leave any holes, at least on one side of the ball, and then draft well. Just draft well, fill it up, and let's go from there. I'm, I'm with you, Jacob. Let's go all O all the time. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for us tonight. We really appreciate you joining us here. As always, it's always a ball to talk about the NFL offseason. Hopefully this podcast won't be completely irrelevant by the time it drops tomorrow, but it will be a, a good time nonetheless. Until next time, y'all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week.
there's youth there compared to some of the other signings, but it seemed like they just brought in more uh, LaVisca Chenault guys. I'm not sure if you pronounce his name that way, but that's the best I got. Um, and, and there's not really a whole lot of diversity. And then they brought, didn't they bring in another tight end, like Evan Ingram or somebody like that? It's just like, what are they, what are you doing here? Like, there's no diversity to this offense, and especially with a guy like Doug Peterson now manning things. I thought that they might bring more of a Chiefs look, uh, where it's like this receiver does. 